0: Welcome, everyone, back to a signing day podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Burn Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site on
2: the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the podcast of champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. We're going to keep the intro short today because we have a very special guest. If you're watching our simulcast here on the YouTubes, on our YouTube channel, we have the one, the only... Brandon Huffman, follow him on Twitter at Brandon Huffman, joining us to talk about National Letter of Intent Day—the old one, you know, the one that used to be cool. It's did they really just that call cool it
0: enough. National Letter of Intent
1: Day? Is that what they did? They used to call it that, Brandon? Lid. I've been doing it long enough Ryan, that. We'll allow it. I'm Brandon Huffman, the national recruiting editor for 24/7 Sports. <laughs> Finally, getting back on the podcast of Champions. Fun to introduce myself. You're
0: the you're the meat to our sandwich right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but We're right in the middle me, am I?
0: Dave, can you point can you try to point Which to
1: Which way? That way. That's very good. Hey. Very nice.
2: Yeah. Brandon's right there in the middle of it. So Brandon's joining us. Uh, he's been busy, just got off the 24-7 sports live feed uh over at CBS. And so that's crazy stuff. We want to go through the entire Pac-12. We're going to try to do it quickly. That's Brandon's specialty, by the way, like get the quick sound bites and everything. So
0: you know tight. It's always tight with if Brandon. If
2: we go 45 minutes on Arizona, we're kind of screwed. We might not be able to talk about you, Oregon. So I blame and we're going to go from the bottom to the top of how these teams are but Brandon, we should probably just get right into it. Is there anything you want to promote before we jump into all this? Or
1: mm, I mean, I have a self-promoter. Follow me for oh. life. Click Follow me for more advice. Yeah. Instagram, Brandon Huffman 24-7. Ooh. Twitter, yeah. at Brandon Huffman.
0: Yeah, you can see it right there on your screen, everyone. Yeah, follow, hit that follow. But before you do that, hit that like button. Oh, and yeah. the subscribe yes. button.
2: Please smash the button. like and subscribe. We need some people watching this live. Hit the like button. Brandon's on the show. Come on. He does everything. He does it great. But we're going to do a quick, maybe not Pac-12 quick, twelve
1: uh,
2: of everything going on in the Pac-12 here on signing day. We're going to go in reverse order just of the high school recruiting class. If there's a, a transfer or something that's like of note you want to mention, whatever you want to do, Brandon, the floor is yours. We're going to go with our number 12 team right
0: now. California Golden Bears. <laughs> 22 commits right now, Brandon. Uh, three in the uh, in the in the realm of four stars. Uh, 16 in the realm of three stars. Tell us about Cal's class.
1: Yeah, and I'm gonna you know obviously. Acknowledge Juco's because I think Cal did a really good job with the Juco class this year. I'm not going to consider those guys portal guys. Uh, getting Marquise Montgomery, one of the top Juco wide receivers, on Wednesday was big for the Bears. You know, I've been really – I've been emailing with this guy for five years. He was actually in the 2018 class, served in LDS missions, playing in the Juco after the COVID year. So he's been out of high school almost as long as Stetson Bennett has. But he is going to Cal and will be a, a big part of their offense, largely because he's going to be an instant impact player because he is – old and he only has a couple of years of eligibility left. But then they went into the youth ranks and got Naziah Hunter. They got him to sign back in December. He's the highest rated player in this class, out of Salinas High School, a four-star player, uh, big-time speedy guy. He was the fastest player we saw at the ESPN camp. And then just in their backyard, Javion Thomas, out of McClyman's High School in Oakland. They got him to commit late, actually beat Rice and CJ Anderson, a former Cal star, uh, who's not the running back coach at Rice. They were able to pull him away and keep him in the base. So I like what they've done at the receiver and, and running back position. They need help on offense, and this is the kind of class that you get to answer a lot of those questions. of, is help on the way.
2: Um, David went to the the, the overall. I don't record.
0: know why you're only okay. So first, Should I do that? Uh, no, no, hang on. We got to switch. We got to do one man. really important thing up top. Brandon, how lame is signing day this year?
1: It's the most boring. I I have to write a winners and losers article for CBS, and I'm like struggling to find losers because you know. Those that maybe missed out on a guy they wanted still got a guy, and everything else was pretty much a foregone conclusion. There were only five teams or five players in the top two, four, seven that hadn't announced, and one of them was Jaden Rashada. So it is boring, and yet seemingly still feels like I'm constantly busy all day. Today.
0: So, so my point is, Ryan, we should be doing the overall class. Okay, I'll do because, the overall class because the high school stuff, like it was over in December for the most part. Uh, but we're very happy for you, ASU, Jaden Rashada. That's great. And Oregon, <laughs> Roderick Pleasant unpleasant day for ryan pleasant day Uh, for you i was playing volleyball this morning that's right he had a day. that's how
2: signing day is like it's just oh i'm going to the beach instead of like doing doing work there all right we'll do the overall class david's gonna so cal would actually come in at number 10 okay so we already we already screwed it up we're great so the worst class uh we have is and we're gonna i have both uh both uh sounds again but we're gonna use the lame one because washington
1: state cougars
0: They're ranked 12th with the overall class in the Pac-12. 30 commits, though. Brandon, uh, tell us about Washington State's class. See if you can keep this under, I don't know, seven minutes.
1: (laughs) I mean, let's not call it the worst class. Let's just call it the 12th ranked class (laughs) in the Pac-12 because we don't want to hurt any feelings. No, you know, Washington State obviously had a little bit of a blow come when they lost Sam Levitt, who had been their quarterback commit, the number two player in Oregon, a four-star player, would have been the highest rated player in this class, but he flipped to Michigan State down the stretch in December. They've done a good job on the offensive line. They've lost some players uh, on the offensive line to the NFL, to graduation, to transfers. So they needed some help there. They went to the Juco ranks, got uh, Eliza Pole, whose brother is a a fan coup for his interception in the Apple Cup back in 2012. His younger brother is an offensive lineman. He'll probably be expected to come in and play right away. Then you got Noah Dunham out of Yuba City, who's their highest-ranked high school player. Uh, But Washington State, you know, this class was looking really good when they had Sam Levitt, they lost him, were able to kind of make do with a quarterback named Jackson Potter out of Santa Margarita, coming from the Trinity League, he's played against elite talent over the last couple of years. So they were able to, to kind of salvage quarterback recruiting with the late addition of Potter, but class probably could have been a lot stronger had they been able to hold on to Levitt. So I think Washington State, you know, maybe with a little bit of meat left on the bone that they wish they could be eating.
0: Yeah. Uh with uh, well our, go ahead if you want to uh, follow up with the Yeah, with with Wazoo, it looks I mean they only have 7 transfer commits. How are they trying a slightly different model because I mean 30 commits and only 7 of them uh out of the transfer portal. That's kind of rare these days at yeah. least in the Pac12. Are they doing a different thing than the rest of the league?
1: They've always been more of a Juco-heavy school. They've been a school that's been able to get players to come from the Juco ranks, and I think that's always been kind of their their priority, even since the advent of the portal, and that's why they've got a number of Juco players in. Now, they took aim at a couple of other transfers that they thought they may have had a great shot, the guys that were from Spokane, Uh, but I think that they would rather have Juco players because a lot of the, the portal players that were interested in Washington State only had a year. With the Jucos, you at least get two years out of them, so you're not looking for just an immediate quick fix. There's some pretty good players there, but you're looking at guys that you can at least get two years of value out of. And I think that that's been Jake Dickett's approach. Don't just go for the one year guy, go for at least a two year guy, maybe three if eligibility works itself out.
2: All right. Uh, let's go to our number 11 team.
1: Stanford Cardinal. All
0: right. David Shaw's dead in the water program has transitioned to Troy Taylor's program. Um, kind of a, uh, uh, a weak class but you kind of give the caveat of it's a new coach the whole thing but 21 commitments for stanford uh obviously not super heavy in the transfer portal uh really at all um what's your take on this class um is there anybody we should watch out for as uh, potential guys who could help that program turn around here pretty quickly
1: yeah, I mean, we talk about losing a guy like Sam Levitt. Stanford got obliterated. They lost Cameron Brandt earlier today. He flipped from Stanford to Michigan. Hunter Clegg was a longtime commit. He flipped to Utah. And then Walker Lyons decommitted 48 hours after David Shaw resigned and ultimately announced for USC. So, you know, that's a blow. Those are three four-star players, an impact tight end at a school that's been known for its tight ends, an impact defensive lineman, and an impact uh Uh, defensive pass rusher, those are three guys that Stanford could utilize, but instead they lose all three of those guys. And the class that they end up putting together is look markedly different than what they were potentially in line for uh, prior to Shah's resignation. Now, they do have some good players coming in. I love Simeone Pale. He's probably the best pure run blocker in the state of California, playing in the Wing T offense at Elk Grove. Uh, Tiger Bachmeier, the very productive receiver out of Murrieta uh, Valley in Southern California. Uh, and then they also have a, a guy like Jackson Harris, who is probably going to become somewhat of a cult hero for Stanford fans. He went to Berkeley High School right there in the shadows of Cal. Cal thought that they were going to be able to keep him home. Not only did he keep it to Stanford, but he did it the day after David Shaw announced his resignation, after being on his official visit when Shaw announced his resignation. So that just shows that Stanford recruits itself, and even without a coach, that the Stanford draw is still there.
2: For uh, Troy Taylor coming in there, I mean, obviously it's a little bit of a mess with the roster, and we've seen... Time after time, transfers coming in and out of there. Is, is any of that philosophy changing, being able to bring in transfers? It was, it was funny, the the story, the Trent—the the one transfer they got this last year was the linebacker from Oklahoma, like, enrolled on his own and went there, like, and, and just knocked on David Shaw's door, like, oh, by the way, I'm already here. I played, uh, you know, in the Big 12 the last couple of years. Could you need me? Like, that's how they were getting transfers in. Like, is that going to change going forward?
1: Well, I know for a fact that they had an in-home visit with Sam Hewitt, the former Washington quarterback, and they were making a push to get Sam Hewitt, and then ultimately he decided to reunite with his old former high school coach who's now the offensive coordinator at Cal Poly. So they are definitely looking at quarterbacks in the portal. Uh, But whether those guys can get there academically, that's the big question. If you look at the two players they've got coming in from the portal, one's from FIU, so I'm imagining that he's a really smart kid. The other one's from Harvard, which is about (laughs) what you would expect, you know, a a transfer to get into Stanford based on those transfer merits to be. So there's a lot of talk that Stanford could be using the portal a lot more effectively this year, maybe three to five guys, and right now they're still only at two. Gotcha.
0: Um, but I mean, you gotta you gotta say that it's it's hard to win a, a recruiting battle with the vaunted Cal Poly Mustangs. I mean, that's that's tough. I mean, if you're Stanford, I mean, you're, that's that's toe to toe with a powerhouse.
1: Hey, don't you dare disrespect the eight oh five on my <laughs> podcast with you guys.
2: I never would. Nice. Uh, all right, we already talked about Washington State. They're number ten uh, for the overall class. The number nine overall class, maybe a little surprising oregon state
0: beavers yeah the beaves uh once again um not a huge class but this is pretty good for oregon state and uh not a huge transfer class i should say but this is a pretty good overall class for what oregon state usually does and obviously a big time uh, couple of transfers uh brandon what's your uh what's your take on oregon state so far
1: well, I think it shows you how far Jonathan Smith has come, where now instead of having to fill up an entire class based on the portal like he did early on in his time in Corvallis, now he's getting to cherry pick a little bit in the in the transfer portal and not having to rely as much on it. He did get, you know, probably the most identifiable uh, name outside of Travis Hunter, the pac 12 got coming in from the portal rankings with D.J. Uyangalele. Uh And, you know, Oregon State was a, a really, you know, average quarterback away from potentially being – 11 and 1 at the end of the regular season instead of 9 and 3. So that was kind of what you want your program to have, where you don't have to rely so heavily on the portal. You've been able to establish some depth, and that's why they were able to go into the portal to just get a guy like DJ. But if you look at it from a high school standpoint, that is actually great for your Oregon State because they've got their highest rated player also as a quarterback, Aiden Childs. We saw him at the All-American Bowl. We saw the season he had overshadowed by playing across town from Nico Yambiava, was at Los Alamitos, but Malachi Nelson was the guy there. But Aiden has really kind of blossomed into a player that uh, we kind of compared him to CJ Stroud in the sense that CJ was in the shadow of Bryce Young and DJ for the majority of his high school career then really blossomed as a senior, Aiden, in the shadow of Nico and Malachi, and blossomed as a senior, too. So if that OSU can get the success from C.J. Stroud and Oregon State can get that same kind of success from Aiden Childs, I think it might not be bad to be the number three quarterback in the Southland. He's also very young. He didn't turn 17 until his september of his senior year most freshmen and sophomores in southern california are 17 already they're voting in elections before they even get to go to their junior prom so he's young guy he's still got some time to develop and i think again it shows that you know jonathan smith with a great eye for talent and then seeing him blossom is, is really why you're seeing oregon state's class maybe not be big but really fit in some needs
2: yeah i mean when you have the kind of success that oregon state had on the field is this Is it realistic to see them in the top half of the Pac-12 when you have a, a year like that? I mean, I kind of was expecting a little more.
1: Yeah, I think it is. But I always feel like you get your biggest bump from a successful season in the class following that year, especially with guys making decisions earlier and earlier in the process. And I mean, we'll talk about with Washington. Washington's class, you know, could be one of those that gets this big bump based off this year in 2024. But I think Oregon State's going to see their bigger bump in 2024. They've already got a commitment from one of the top tight ends in the state of California and Wyatt Hook for 2024. So, that's where I think they'll see the bump, but I think they got to be very pleased with what they pulled in this year.
2: Okay, uh, let's go to our number eight team, Jed Fish doing some work.
1: Arizona
0: Wildcats. Not nearly as much work as last year, though. True. Uh, this is a yeah. bit of a drop off from the 2022 class. Uh, 29 commitments, uh, four four stars, 23 uh, three stars. Um, what's the what's the read on this, Brandon? Um, is this a little bit of maybe the buzz wearing off um uh or is it just kind of the settling in of you know we're gonna try to target more specifically and not just go for the splashy four stars what was uh what's your take on uh arizona's class
1: yeah, I don't think the buzz is wearing up, per se. I just think that there was a lot of excitement and anticipation for the 2022 class, given that, you know, they were coming off a one one season, and then they were able to get to Tori McMillan to flip from Oregon. But I think this class is a little bit more blue-collar. While it may have had more star power in 2022, They started to see some results on the field with five wins this year, beating North Dakota State, who was the FCS runner-up and had been on a run of beating power five schools, going to the Rose Bowl, beating UCLA, beating Arizona State in their rivalry game. So there's a lot of production happening on the field. And I think this class with Arizona, it it may not be as star-powered as a year ago, but really like what I saw from Braden Dormitt, the Polynesian Bowl, Leviticus Sua, you know. They did really well in the Trinity League last year with a uh, uh, number of players they got out of Servite to get Leviticus Sua, who had a number of Pac-12 schools. Uh, afterhand, turned down Stanford and UCLA to go to Arizona. That's a nice pickup, and I really like what Arizona has done in terms of what they've done in the or on the island of Hawaii, uh, in the state of Hawaii. You know, it wasn't but a year ago that they were able to go get a player Uh, in uh, Jonas Savayanaya, and he turned out to be one of the best offensive linemen in the Pac-12 this year. Well, now they go back there this year into this class, and they get his brother Julian Savayanaya out of St. Louis High School. So they've really made some inroads in the state of Hawaii, and that's a state that you are going to want to keep recruiting. And I think that their aggression in the state of Hawaii in the last couple of classes is paying huge dividends for them.
2: For uh, Jed Fish, was, when he came in um, the first Pac-12 media day, everyone was excited. He just was, the, you know, there's just all this energy, especially, you know, taking over the state of Arizona. Well, now you got Kenny Dillingham coming in there. We'll talk about his class in, in a minute. Has that impacted what Fish is trying to do where you have like another in the same state, you have another like young up-and-coming guy that everyone's like excited to be around?
1: Well, it has, and largely because Arizona State has done such a good job of adding coaches that were high school coaches in Arizona. So they have those connections to those Arizona high schools. But the bigger issue that I think that both Dillingham and Jed Fish has already been finding out is that Arizona is one of those states where those kids just don't have a desire to stay home. California kids, for the most part, they will stay home or stay in the Western foot parent. You know, Washington, Oregon, they've all had their, their share of hometown heroes. That's one problem that plagued Todd Graham. Irm Edwards, it play Rich Rodriguez, Kevin Sumlin, and you go back historically, and neither Arizona and Arizona State, really for the last 15, 20 years, have had as much success in the state, but then they've seen those guys go on and flourish at other schools, whether they're in the Pac-12, or whether they're national schools. So that's something that both Dillingham and Jed Fish are gonna need to really kind of hunker down on, is keeping the in-state talent local.
2: Speaking of uh, Kenny Dillingham, our number seven team,
1: arizona state sun devils
0: this is an insane class that might break our website is this uh
2: this is a not a this quality not quantity right is that what we're talking here
0: 46 (laughs) commitments there's 25 transfers by itself like that's a full class 46 commitments they're really taking advantage of the relaxation of the uh the 25 per year rule um Jaden Rashad, obviously the big news today, Brandon. But, um, I mean, take your pick of what you're going to talk about because there's 46 dudes to talk about.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not going to talk about all 46 because... I bet I, I bet you could. I bet you could. I could, but I'm hungry. I have to pee, so <laughs> I am not going to talk about all 46. I'll just talk about the high school players they signed. And, obviously... Jaden Rashad is not going to sign a letter of intent because he already signed one that he got out of with Florida, but he will enroll at Arizona State. What a big pickup for Kenny Dillingham getting his signature recruit in Jaden Rashad. You know, interestingly enough, Jaden Rashad nearly committed to Arizona State back in the spring of 2021. It was his father's alma mater. His dad was on their last Rose Bowl team. He grew up watching Arizona State. Zach Hill nearly got him to commit back then. But since then, Herm Edwards was fired. Zach Hill ultimately left that job. And bigger schools got involved. And we've already gone over the Rashada roller coaster enough on every possible airway possible. So I'm not going to go over here. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Arizona State's going to be able to add him to this class. And that's the crown jewel for Arizona State in this cycle to get a guy that could be able to come in and play. Now, they've got a couple of quarterbacks coming in via the portal and Jacob Conover out of BYU and Drew Pine uh, from Notre Dame. But Rashad is going to be there in time for spring ball to be able to have a chance to put himself in the mix for that job. Uh, But I think if you also look at you know, kind of where they just spread themselves geographically, went into Louisiana, went into Texas, hit Florida, went into the JUCO ranks to get one of the offensive linemen, Maxwell Ioanachoar. So uh, a lot of geographical diversity in this class, just in terms of places that Arizona State maybe hasn't recruited as much, but they've signed as many players from the state of Texas as they did from California, I don't think that's going to be their approach, though, long term. I still think that with Kenny Dillingham coming back to his alma mater and being back in his home state, you're going to see the Sun Devils really focus on the Western region.
2: What kind of buzz have you heard with with Dillingham on the recruiting trail? It just seemed to be once the hire happened and his name was out there, it was like, oh, and then, you know, like Dave said, he hit the transfer portal hard. It seems like, you know, it's, it's hard to recruit for this class, but seem to do a pretty good job of that. Is there a lot of buzz around uh, Dillingham's hire?
1: there it is and i think there's a lot of the buzz around the staff that he hired and moving forward into the 2024 class the problem with their 2023 classes was it was so down bad with herm edwards and uh the looming just kind of lame duck status that he had that you know there was no buzz with arizona state and by the time dillingham got there the majority of the 2023 guys had already made the decisions of where they wanted to go so it was hard for him to capture that so that made hitting the portal hard but then they start building buzz on the most important day on national signing day with the rashada announcement and that's going to carry over to 2024 and again given the impact of a lot of the local assistant coaches that he's added from the high school ranks and that have had experience coaching in high school That's going to help them really kind of capitalize on their effort to kind of "quote unquote" take back the desert.
2: Yeah, Uh, we'll see with uh, Dillingham going for. I don't know if they paid him thirteen million like Florida was supposed to, but uh, we'll see. Uh, Top half of the class. Let's go to our number six team,
0: Washington Huskies. Yeah, as Ryan said, top half of the, of the, uh, of the league, uh, Washington, uh, I think it's 27 commitments as of now, uh, 11 four stars, 16 three stars. How did uh, Kalen DeBoer do in his first full cycle?
1: Yeah, I really like this class for the Huskies. They got the number one ranked player in the composite rankings in the state, and Caleb Presley, who was a longtime Oregon commit, but he played at Rainier Beach High School in Seattle. That's been a problem for Jimmy Lake, and even parts of Chris Peterson's time was keeping the top players in the state. He went into the Bay Area, got Tayshawn Lyons out of uh, Tennyson High School in Hayward, had a lot of national attention. And then Washington kind of recruited you know, uniquely geographically. They only signed three players from the state of Washington, but they signed two players from Texas. They signed a player from Louisiana and Minnesota in this class, and then they did their heavy lifting in the state of California, which, you know, was prominent for them to do because they got players from Southern California and Northern California. And if you look at their roster, there's a lot of guys from those parts of the state that were contributing factors to their 11-2 season. You know, even after they got the most impact, probably outside of Caleb Williams, and Bo Nix, the most impactful transfer portal quarterback in Michael Penix, they didn't really hit the, the the portal as hard in 2023 like we thought they may only bringing in seven guys via the portal they did their heavy lifting in the high school ranks and, and I think with you know the amount of players they have coming back and the contribution those players have made it didn't make the portal as important so they were able to kind of focus their efforts on the high school ranks but I like what they did especially in the state of California in this 2023 class.
2: You get a you know, lightning in a bottle, like a Michael Penix coming in, going to come back. How does that impact recruiting? You know, we can talk about Oregon with Bo Nix coming back. I mean, maybe it hurts you if you're trying to get a quarterback for this class, but does it help you bring in more skilled players, offensive linemen? I mean, what, what kind of impact have those transfers that come in and just like light the world on fire? What, how, how have they affected the recruiting class?
1: Well, you know, it's it's kind of hard to tell because what I think really maybe affected the class for the most part is so much of that talent is returning. A lot of those draft-eligible players are coming back to play the 2023 season. And I think Washington's in this really unique situation and not necessarily in a great way just at the quarterback position, because with the announcement that Penix was returning, with Sam Hewitt going into the NCAA transfer portal, and then with Lincoln Keenholz, who had been committed to the Huskies for quite some time, flipping to Ohio State, Washington starts spring football in a couple months with only two scholarship quarterbacks. And Pennix, who, yes, had a magnificent 2022 season, but let's also remember, he never finished the three seasons before that because of an injury. So you do have a guy who, yes, he was kept upright. Uh, They do lose three starting offensive linemen, but he was kept pretty healthy this year. But you don't have a lot of depth behind them. They haven't signed a quarterback in 2022 or in 2023. Oh. So that makes signing two quarterbacks in 2024 kind of their plan. They've already got a commitment from E.J. Kaminong out of Garfield High School. Uh, Austin Mack, who's a top 10 quarterback nationally, has the Huskies in his final five. He'll be announcing later today on signing day for 2024. So, you know, and then there's always the situation. Are two quarterbacks in one class one too many? Can they coexist? So that's the the, the one downside is that Penix return might have hurt quarterback recruiting. And I don't know if it was a a real impact on receivers in this class. They already kind of got the guys that they wanted, but then they returned their top three, top four receivers. How many of these guys are going to crack the rotation ahead of those guys? I I think it's more the Ryan Grubb, Kalen DeBoer system that's going to be attractive rather than what Michael Penix did this season.
2: Yeah. And Grubb's coming back, which we'll talk about, uh, which was good. Uh, Two time Pac-12 champs only coming at number five.
0: Utah Utes. Uh, yeah, but I, th- I think we all need to remember our expectations for Utah and recruiting because being top five in the league, like if you asked, I think, Joe Utah fan like five years ago, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> 26 commitments uh, for Utah, uh, like with Washington. I mean, we're talking about these 26 and 27 commitment classes as if they're small. And I think it's just because we just talked about ASU. But uh, qu- quality, maybe not quantity. Uh, nine uh, four-star commitments, uh, 15 uh, three-star. Uh, what stands out about Utah's, uh, looks like, overall top 25 class in the composite
1: Well, I think for for one thing, this is what the Pac-12 kind of feared. Like, what's Utah going to do when they start winning and what kind of caliber class are they going to recruit? For Utah to have a top 25 class might not be that remarkable, but you got to remember, this is a school that 12 years ago was in the Mountain West. And we just saw another one of those teams in the Mountain West at the same time as them. Uh, TCU might have come in after them, but TCU just played for a national championship. So, you know, it it took TCU 12 years to play for a national championship. Uh, It took Utah, you know, 10, 11 years to get to the Rose Bowl and now they're there and they're not going away anytime soon and the recruiting has been able to benefit from that. They were able to get the number one player in the state in Spencer Fano. By the way, they were able to add his brother Logan, who had been at BYU, went into the portal and got him. Uh, They were able to go into Arizona to get the number two player in the state of Arizona in Caleb Lamu. Hunter Klett flipped him from Stanford. uh, CJ Blocker, out of the state of Texas, was a longtime Utah commit, decommitted. They thought he was out of the mix and then he ends up back in the mix, they had 10 players in the Polynesian Bowl this year. They had three more that were playing in the All American Bowl, and another one that was playing in the Under Armour game. So, Utah is not just recruiting cute little regional guys now, they're recruiting national level elite recruits. And I think that this class with Spencer Fauna, with Caleb Longu, Hunter Clegg, Smith uh CJ Blocker, guys like that, it's also why you're seeing that they don't have a lot of guys coming in. Via the portal. One of them's a kicker. Uh, The other two are guys that were originally from Utah. Uh, One left Stanford to go to Utah. The other was Logan Fauna, like I mentioned. So there's not a a reliance on the portal for Utah. They are developing their players. And I don't think anybody in the Pac-12 has been better over the last 12 years at evaluating those guys, getting them on campus, developing them, and then churning them out like Utah. And now their classes are getting even more talented for them to do that same kind of work.
2: So it's more it's like Kyle Whittingham's kind of shifting the philosophy a little bit. They're still going to, you know, identify, you know, evaluate and develop, but just kind of bring in a higher quality athlete to start with.
1: Yeah, they're winning more of those battles that they were historically probably on the final four for. Maybe they had a hat on the table, but their hat didn't get picked. Now they're getting that guy, but they're still not straying away. We talk about it every year. You know, Greg Biggins is on record as saying, nobody makes us look dumber on signing day than Utah because you get a player who might be a 210-pound defensive end, and then by the time he's a Pac-12 player of the year four years later, he's <laughs> 270 pounds, and we're like, dang, we should have probably thought about that five or six years ago.
0: Have we considered that Kyle Whittingham is a time traveler?
1: I I think so. I mean, for one thing, for a guy who's like in his 60s, why does he look like he's 30? Yeah, that's what I'm
0: saying. That's what I'm saying.
1: He's Benjamin Button. I was that. i never watched the movie. Is that how? Yeah, he's he's aging in in reverse. reverse. Yes, there you
2: go. Yeah. Uh, We got our, this is top four now. We got our number four team. (laughs) Extension. Extension. For for a basketball school to be doing this well, I'm very impressed.
0: (laughs) UCLA Bruins. (laughs) Oh, Brandon. Um... (laughs) Uh, UCLA. They're recruiting now. They're uh-huh, trying. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Top four <laughs> 28 commitments, uh, one five star, seven four stars, 19 three stars. It's an evenly balanced class uh, right now with 13 signees from the high school ranks, 13 signees from the transfer ranks, and then uh, still waiting on a couple uh, to come in. Um, you know, you know my take on the class.
1: Brandon, what's yours? <laughs> Ryan, you're silly. You silly recruiting, it's February 1st, not April 1st. They (laughs) did hit the jackpot getting Dante Moore. But this class, you know, kind of leaves you wanting for more if you're a UCLA fan. Yes, you got to be excited by the fact that they do have Dante Moore coming in, and after the performance he had in the All-American Bowl, it's not unrealistic to think that he may be in contention to be the starter when they open the season, let alone Pac-12 play. But after that, there were some other guys that, even though they made a late push for some, for some key players and they were in the mix for them, they still didn't close on a lot of those key targets. And they really weren't that aggressive in, in getting those targets. There was a, a lull there for a good thing. Three or four months where it just didn't seem like there was anything happening. Then they closed kind of with a flurry, obviously getting Dante Moore, uh, getting Grant Bucky into the mix, uh, being able to pull in R.J. Jones uh, and Solomon Malafau, uh, kind of in that that stretch run. Tavaki uh, who I thought really did well this season and kind of made a name for himself. But you know this class is still very small on the high school side of it and very heavy on the portal. And we're heading into year six of Chip Kelly. Usually, if you're going to do the portal thing, you do it for a couple of years, and then you get your feet under you, and then you start recruiting in high school. So you, instead of the reverse Benjamin Button, we have the reverse: Hey, let's recruit a bunch of high school projects in the first few years, and then oh crap, now we got the portal. Let's do that instead. I still think you can, you know, be competitive with a seventy to thirty split rather than a fifty fifty split.
0: Are you saying getting a, a prep offensive lineman, a single one, uh, each of the last two recruiting cycles is not great?
1: No, I mean is that, what you're trying to,
0: is that what you're trying to imply to me, Brandon?
1: It'd be great if you're, you know, like with seven on seven, you're playing two on two with the <laughs> offensive line, but I'm pretty sure now Stanford was playing nine offensive line at a time, but most of the time you typically want to play five, not just bring in two. I'm not good at math, it's never been a strength, but I don't like that math.
2: <laughs> hey, at least, hey, Chip Kelly's trying again. That's good. He gets that extension. You got a little security going on, going into the Big Ten. Like, man, just, he's, he's actually recruiting like at a half speed as a, as opposed to not at all. So that's pretty impressive, I would I'm, I'm going to reach across these tables. <laughs> uh, so when we do these, we love having Brandon on whenever we kind of do a recap of what we're doing for recruiting classes. This fan base usually is checked out within the first five minutes of the show because we've already talked about them and moved on. Unbelievably, number three.
0: Colorado Buffalo. They're sticking around now. They have to stick around. Absolute dream scenario uh, (laughs) for Colorado. No, when they hired Deion Sanders, this is the exact result that you wanted from that. It was either go for a scheme guy who's going to bring in something innovative and it might take a couple years to install and you're going to do something different, or bring in the guy who's the hype and the recruiter. They got that, and we'll see. Maybe the scheme will work out too, but they're they, like ASU, went over 40. They have 43 commitments right now. They're 21 nationally. Uh, they've uh, got a great high school class, an even more impressive transfer class. Start wherever you want, Brandon, but two top cornerbacks in their respective classes and back-to-back classes now with uh, transfer of Travis Hunter and and, uh, and then Cormani uh, McLean.
1: Yeah, anytime you have a chance to hire the second greatest defensive back of all time uh, as your head coach, um, you know, you you go do it. He's no Rod Woodson, but I'm sure the black and gold will look good on Dion like it did on Woodson. And I'm a Browns fan, so it takes a lot to say that. I just had to get that in there. Rod Woodson, though, he has not been able to recruit the number one corner in the country the last two years like Dion Sanders had. It started with Travis Hunter a year ago. This year, we thought, was there going to be any signing day surprise back in December? There wasn't because Travis Hunter announced that night that he was committing, but the surprise actually was happening down in Florida when Cormonti McLean didn't sign with Miami as he was expected to do and ultimately decided to kind of hold off. Well, that gave Dion a little bit of time to kind of turn the heat up, and it was the weekend that Miami coaches were supposed to be at Cormonti McLean's high school, they showed up at the school, Cormani was on his way to Boulder, and over the course of that weekend, Colorado did everything that they needed to do to close on Cormani, And that means that next year when Colorado is starting their season, there's a very good chance that the top two corners in the country in their respective classes in consecutive years are gonna be lined up across from each other in a very pass-friendly conference. I think that that right there just shows what can Dion do when he's got a full year to recruit, when he's got a full year to tout Colorado and it's history. I'm old enough to remember when I was in high school, Colorado won a national championship. They were able to recruit kind of who they wanted in Southern California, in Texas, and other parts of the country. And now Dion, with his geographical uh, kind of connections around the, the country, I think is going to do Yama's work for the bus and allow them to get out of the doldrums of their previous hire.
2: There's obviously a lot of buzz when you hire Coach Prime, you know? And some of the criticism you know, when he was in the swack or whatever, that there was just, you were getting like these power five cast offs and they were getting, they just had so much more talent than everybody else. They won a lot of games, but from what you're saying now, I wasn't sure, like how much is sizzle and how much is steak? It sounds like there's a lot of stake with, with Coach Prime coming in here.
1: There is, And I think, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at it, too. I mean, he's going to have all the buzz and he deservedly so. When you get the caliber of player that he did at Jackson State and then to see him do the same thing in Colorado, there is a lot of, you know, buttering sizzle to that state. But the big question will be, can he make that jump from the FCS? And can those players that are coming with him from Jackson State, most notably his son, Shadur, make that jump? For every Vernon Adams who had made the jump from Eastern Washington to a successful year at Oregon, there's been a Cam Ward who came in with a lot of fanfare, and it was a pretty unremarkable season for the Washington State offense. Let's be realistic compared to what he did. And so can Sugar do that same thing in the Pac-12 that he was doing in the SWAC? Well, I guess if you're going to do it, you know, it doesn't hurt to do it in a conference that's been allergic to defense for the most part (laughs) uh, for the better part of a decade, but – that same conference was playing the same defense that Cameron Ward was going up against. So I think so much of this season is going to ride on if Shadur can make that jump and if he can, then Colorado is going to be able to have the wins on the field and then keep getting those recruiting wins off it. All
2: right, we got two more left. Our number two class.
0: USC Trojan. I think, did, did oh, that, I'm sorry, my update? bad.
2: I'm sorry, it was, the number two class is actually.
0: Oregon Ducks. Sorry. Honestly, they're, they're honestly the you're, trying, one you're trying to class. undersell your Trojans just because it was an unpleasant morning. Uh a pleasant morning. I've got some volleyball in. Oregon, I delivered my meals on wheels. Oregon, uh, uh, like, like Colorado and ASU, uh, somehow got 39 commitments. That roster was good enough that they were in contention for the playoff until uh, Bo Nix got hurt, yet they still signed 39 guys. Uh, one five-star, 24 four-stars. Uh, obviously a huge class, um, uh, one of the best in program history, but they've been putting together a lot of very good ones of late. Uh, Roderick Pleasant this morning, bunch of guys before that. Uh, what's your what's your take on the class, Brandon?
1: Yeah, I, I love obviously what Oregon did, where they were able to go into Southern California and to get Mateo Uyangalele to get Roderick Pleasant. They also went into Texas. They've been able to use the national brand that they've been in and recruit nationally. Uh, You know, interestingly enough, you know, they've had great recruiting classes in the previous years, whether it was under Mario Cristobal, but there, anytime you have a head coach come in, a new head coach come in, there's going to be some cultural differences. There's going to be some philosophical differences. So Oregon lost a lot of players to the portal, but that's why they've had to go back into the portal so great this year and be able to go in and get some guys that could be immediate help um you know losing some of the players in the portal like they did they go in and they get a jordan birch an elite pass rusher out of the sec taishin johnson another kid that's going to come in and be able to play right away after the majority of that secondary was graduating so they kind of saw that there was a need to get some of those upperclassmen on a very talented roster and and replace it so they hit the portal a little bit harder than you would have thought in year two, but this class is still about their high school recruiting, getting Mateo, getting Roger Pleasant, getting Kenyon Sadiq, who's the highest rated player from the state of Idaho, maybe in a decade uh, when they lost Dante Moore, they were able to immediately pivot and get Austin Novosad out of the state of Texas a long-time Baylor commit, uh, be able to get a couple guys that their dads are on the staff there. Um, Tatum Toyote T- 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 know, out of Sheldon High School, defensive lineman, the son of Oregon's defensive line coach, Tony Tuyoti, and then Cole Martin, the four-star defensive back out of Arizona, uh, the son of, Air- of Oregon's defensive backs coach, Demetrius Martin. So, you know, getting players like that uh, to, to come in and want to be coached by their dad for a couple of years, uh, be able to get some top-end players from the state of California, and then be able to recruit nationally. I think that that is what you're going to continue to see Oregon do is recruit on a national basis.
2: Yeah, obviously very impressive uh class from the Ducks. It's big, like Dave mentioned. Um they've been doing a really good job of winning the head-to-head battles, not so much against UCLA, but mostly against USC, like the high you know, because UCLA doesn't go after those guys, but like the, you know, hey, Dante Moore. The hype the high, that's true. High profile players, uh, especially from Southern California, the the five star guys, like you'd mentioned a couple of them. Does that Is there a concern that changing at all when USC and UCLA leave for the Big Ten where you're not in the same league anymore? Is that going to be a hurdle to overcome? I mean, the Ducks have been doing a great job for years doing that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a hurdle. In fact, one thing that I remember this summer when I did an article on, you know, the Pac-12 recruits and the Southern California recruits responded to the impact of USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten, I thought one of the most notable quotes that I heard in that interview was from Brandon Baker, uh, the elite offensive lineman out of modern day. And he said that, you know, how are USC and UCLA going to sell being the home school when they're not even going to be playing in front of the home? Well, they're still going to be playing six home games a year, guy, uh, Brandon. But... I do get that point. Like, yeah, they're not going to be playing those other games in the Pac-12 footprint. They're going to be playing it in the Midwest, back East. And so that's something that I think there's going to be a lot of doubt planted into the minds of these recruits by the other 10 Pac-12 schools that didn't get the invite to the Big Ten to say, hey, you know what? They're leaving your region. They want to go recruit nationally because they want to go play nationally. We want to stay in the Pac-12 footprint. You want to stay in the Pac-12 footprint. Let's be that perfect match.
0: I have one follow-up question, and this is just an idle curiosity. Uh, Mateo's ranking uh, went down considerably between December and January. First, how much crap did uh, you and everyone in 247 get from Oregon fans about that? And two, you rarely see that so significant of a drop in the top 247. Uh, was there an injury or something?
1: So we talk about USC's class next and kind of get that little sound bite and uh, yeah, let start talking about USC.
2: Number one class.
0: <laughs> usc Trojan. wait you don't want to like oh
2: i thought he was gonna
1: like you know put those no together. no it's just it, was, it was a that.
0: beautiful beautiful voice. you
1: broke up i didn't hear anything you just asked me for the last 45 seconds
0: <laughs> uh usc usc 33 commitments in this class uh normal sized class uh two five stars 17 four stars this is the number eight class nationally um Where do you want to begin here? Uh they got a five star quarterback, five star wide receiver, didn't get Roger Pleasant this morning, got pretty much everyone else they targeted. Uh what do you have to say, Brandon?
1: I will answer your previous question, Dave. Yes, we get a lot of crap, but we get crap no matter what. It doesn't matter. You can move 14 guys up and it's the one guy that drops that you always hear about.
0: Well, you just heard it from me, Brandon.
1: There you go. Thank you. Um you can send all those emails to Greg.bigins at (laughs) scott.com. and any complaints you may have about rankings. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) USC, you know, (laughs) here's the thing about USC's class. If Malachi Nelson, Makai Lemon, and Zachariah Branch all announced their decision 12 months later, everybody's talking about what a hell of a close it is for Lincoln Riley and USC. Almost they became a victim of the immediate impact of Lincoln Riley's decision to leave Norman for USC and for him to be able to flip Malachi and Makai Lemon and then get Zachariah Branch shortly after, they got three guys that are in the top 50, but they all committed so early and then they missed on some of those key targets late, losing out on Mateo, losing out on Robert Pleasant, overlooking the fact that they did get Walker Lyons to announce for them on Wednesday, uh, even if he won't enroll until the fall of 2024. But I think USC's class was, was probably still really good With you can get three top 50 players that is really good um it's just the timing of it when that happened and compared to how other teams in the conference closed it maybe you know caused a little consternation. now i think the other thing that usc had kind of working against it was just how many impact players on the team this year were from the transfer portal and maybe there's a concern that hey they're going to recruit over me if they go there it's a one-year quick fix thing they've been much less uh picking apart the transfer portal, at least compared to year one under Lincoln Riley. Uh, But I think that you're going to see with a very talented group of recruits in Southern California in 2024, a lot of early buzz with those 2024s and even 2025s. I think USC is going to be fine when it comes to recruiting high schoolers these next couple classes. But again, I think they're maybe a victim more of timing this year, given when the big three announced their commitment. They could still pull off and get Deuce Robinson. And that would be a heck of a pull for them to close with as well. To go with Walker lines, if you could space those guys out by a class, but yeah, I think USC still is a good class. But I think we're just getting to see the beginning stages of what Lincoln Riley is going to do from a recruiting standpoint at USC.
2: Uh, Eddie had a question uh, about the class. USC's had major issues recruiting high school offensive line, but this year did really well uh, with the transfer portal offensive line. Why is the offensive line? Why is that O line? See, USC is a good landing spot, but not the high school kids. Actually, they still well, like five. High school linemen, too, but
1: yeah, and, and I think you know, Micah Banuelos is a four star. We've I think, we're the only ones that have him as a four star. He ended up the number one offensive line or number one player in the state of Washington. He's really good, obviously. Uh, you know, Elijah Page flipping him from Notre Dame, Alani Noah, Amos Talalele. I think that they are, are doing well. I think there's still a lot of kind of burn, uh, from not getting Josh Connerly a year ago, maybe losing some of the key offensive linemen in the region in these last couple of class, classes, but they also were a pretty veteran laden offensive line. I mean, Andrew Vorkis. Brett Nealon, I remember talking to, to Andrew Voorhees. This is how long ago it was. I remember talking to him one night in his recruitment, it was junior year, and at the same time he was watching the Golden State Warriors win their seventy, I think 73rd NBA game. And I was watching Kobe play his last game for the Lakers. Wow. That's how long ago it was that Andrew Voorhees was in high school. Brett Nealon, I want to say he was in that same class. Justin Dedich was a class behind him. So they had a pretty veteran offensive line. And that way, when you're a portal guy, you might be able to come in and, you know, there's not a long wait. You're going to be, be able to plug and play. But I think you're seeing them get back to the philosophy of recruiting high school guys and developing them rather than throwing a bunch of true freshmen out there that aren't physically ready. Dave, you got to see that a lot under Jim Mora. How many times UCLA start in three, four freshman offensive linemen? USC, with the portal, they're able to get a little bit more experience, but they're able to replenish those offensive line with younger guys that they don't need to rush in. They're going to actually let them develop.
0: That, that soliloquy about um, the the uh, how long these guys have been in school, when you said Brett Nealon, I remembered Adrian Clem recruited him at UCLA. Wow. Yes. That's how long we were, ago
1: that was. There were like three starting offensive linemen at Oregon this year that Clem recruited at UCLA, and he's been gone since 2016. So, you know, that COVID year, the, the, I mean, granted, Cam McCormick, I think when he was first being recruited, he's got two more years to go play for Mario Cristobal. I think, you know, Oregon was still in the PCAA when Cam McCormick was first being recruited <laughs> be at Oregon.
2: We, I know we got to let you go. We got one last question, a dog's life in Portland wrote in in the chat, uh, list of top surprise signings in the in the Pac-12. Maybe just a couple guys that you think.
1: Yeah, I think, you, you know, a, a couple of the guys that I think ultimately ended up in the Pac-12 that maybe you didn't necessarily think were going to. Obviously, you, you can't look at that list without saying Carmonte McLean. I mean, never in a million years did anybody think Carmonte McLean was going to end up at a Pac-12 school, let alone Colorado. So that's the one that just kind of makes you go, wow, this is not necessarily your your, your grandpa's uh, Pac 12. Um, I think there was a lot of people that thought Mateo was going to leave the, the Western region. You know, I wouldn't really call him a surprise because he is from Southern California, but I think a lot of people thought he was ultimately going to end up outside the Pac 12 footprint. They were able to get him back in the fold uh, with, with Oregon getting him. And then Jaden Rashad. I mean, I, I am t- kind of taking some easy ones here, but given the way their recruitments were tracking for so long, I don't think anybody ever expected Jaden Rashada to end up in the Pac-12. So you have, you know, easily the two, two of the three biggest stories in recruiting today are Coramon McLean sending his letter of intent. Now he flipped to Colorado two weeks ago, but he was supposed to sign up with Miami and he didn't, I think until his letter came in, Colorado was waiting with bated breath and then Jaden Rashada. So yeah, those are two big surprises there.
2: Nice. All right. The great Brandon Huffman, the king, you are. I mean, to go run from live, one live show to another one, we really appreciate you. I know you got something coming up like 40 minutes or something, too. Got to go
1: host the announcement for uh, fulsome quarterback Austin Mack. You're gonna why host it. just yeah, why just do announcements on 2023 when we can start announcing 2024s today? I like
2: <laughs> good god, yeah, do it well. Brandon, we really appreciate you coming on. i uh, hope everyone enjoyed that, but thank you so much.
1: Thanks, fellas. All Thanks, right, Brandon.
2: We'll next time. And we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and uh, talk some more Pac-12. Thanks again, Brandon, and uh, we'll all be back in a minute.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
2: On the podcast of Champions, a seamless, hopefully, transition from the three-shot to the two-shot of is just just me. us now? It's just us.
0: Wow. You and me. Wow. Uh, I, got, I feel empty inside.
2: How Brandon's great. I can't believe how the sound bites he was doing. He's incredible. I mean, because you were saying he's not capable of doing those sound bites, and
0: he didn't. No, no. He, he crushed it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, here's the thing about Brandon. The most important thing to understand about Brandon Huffman is he could have done – uh whatever he did about each individual school he could have done that about each individual recruit it's insane it's insane listening to him and he's got all the details remember from like when these kids were 15 all the way to right now i
2: mean the fact that he remembered where he was what he was watching kobe's last when he was
0: talking to andrew forhees seven years ago yeah
2: that's (laughs) absolutely it might have been eight years ago but yeah absolutely insane i'm like buying like Who's the uh, uh, who's USC's quarterback? Uh Caleb Williams, yeah. If yeah, you I remember asked, him.
0: If you asked me to just uh remember who <laughs> UCLA lost to last season, I would be hard pressed. <laughs> I would be very hard pressed. Well, they won so many games, that's why. Like remember it's hard. but like remember a specific game from like literally the season I just watched. Yeah.
2: And he remembers I mean that's that's a, it's like a politician when you know politicians don't remember they always remember people's faces names they remember who your kids were whatever no 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 Brandon remembers everything he remembers all that stuff when I I literally texted when we're going to Hawaii what is the name of that udon place that we go to and he'll just right away he just remembers it and like you saw his setup there wasn't like some screen he was reading off of he would just go over everything so um pretty impressive stuff and Uh, the
0: pronunciation skills it's very good He's out of this world. He's really good at his job. He's out of this world, Brandon. Wasn't
2: he a message board poster on bro? A, he is
0: a 247 recruiting expert, and that's the only thing everyone needs to know. Oh,
2: Gerard Martinez was, he was my, uh, he was a message board poster. Like, it's funny. Like, because there's a passion there, and where do the people with a passion go? They're on Sites like ours are on those message boards. Like you can say they're crazies, which there's a lot of crazy. I'm a but passionless
0: fellow, that's why I'm not. You've good at lost this. your passion, you had the passion,
2: you started like that's why you were there.
0: It's actually why I'm a very successful troll <laughs> because I actually, I actually have no dog in the fight anymore. You've lost, I just don't care. You've lost that love and feeling. Yeah, uh,
2: nice, but good stuff. We don't have a whole lot of other um things to get to. There, there were meetings on Monday, uh, Pac 12 presidents, ads, oh, all that god, kind of th-
0: you're really bringing it down. What? You're just talking some meetings? Is that where we are? They're well, we yeah. wanted to talk about meetings.
2: They're talking about meetings.
0: Uh but there's all it's not a game, of- not a game, not a game. Meetings. Meetings. Well, there's this whole
2: media rights deal that the past they're
0: wrote. not that they don't that they haven't announced yet, right? Well this, they haven't this, announced, this but we could
2: talk uh, about what could it could be. Uh, why? I don't know. Like it matters. Like it's money
0: and Yeah, we we'll know when we know.
2: So you'd rather just like
0: I mean we've talked about it extensively at this point. Well but they just had a meeting about it. Yeah, but what was said in the meeting? Right, we don't even have a recap of the meeting.
2: I mean, Wilner has his thoughts. Uh, we we the, the Monty Show tweeted out that it looks like twenty five million a year per school, which a lot of people thought they were just trolling because they're more of a BYU Big Twelve kind of school. There's but there's like the ba- I like the battle. I like the is it going to be better than the Big Twelves? Is it going to be worse? You know, where's where's it going?
0: You, you love get, this. You don't even care because you know he's not going to be there anymore. No, I don't care about. I don't care details. about the Pac-12. I love you. the Pac-12. I don't think you do. I wish. I wish. I wish both of our schools were staying in the Pac-12.
2: I, you actually do that. You do. Yeah. You wish that, yeah. Uh,
0: huh. But who cares? All right. Well, there's they had a meeting. meeting anyway. They had a meeting on, right. on Monday. We did
2: mention um, Alabama going after Washington's uh, offensive coordinator. Boom. Boom. Didn't happen. No. Apparently turned it down. Yep. So that's impressive there. And we
0: already mentioned Sam Heward.
2: Uh they
0: tried to get their <coughs> grubby hands on him. Grub and Grub said no. Yeah. He said Ix-nay no stay on the yeah. upgrade. No, um yeah.
2: not getting I'm not going to I'm not going to Alabama. I'm not replacing
0: – who was the – oh, see, there was it. Bill O'Brien. Like, think about the choice you're making, though. I mean, who wouldn't want to stay in Seattle oh versus oh moving to Tuscaloosa and being in the armpit of the South?
2: Oh, okay. I thought you were going – you were going to say, like, when you have such a large figure at your quarterback <laughs> position,
0: something like that. No, I wasn't going Phoenix. I was going, I was going regionalism.
2: <laughs> you love doing that, too. Um, yeah, and then Sam Heward, who looked to, to your point, like, okay – he could have went to Stanford, but it looks like he's going to go there and try to, like, have a great year and then transfer someplace else, probably. I
0: mean, but- okay, so let's let's have real talk for a second. We all watched Sam Heward play a little bit. Uh, he's not very good. So I think he's going to go down to Cal Poly, and he'll start at Cal Poly, probably, and he'll be fine. But I think he's going to stay at Cal Poly.
2: Okay, Sometimes it's like the name, right? Like you've got the legacy. Yeah. I'm I, curious I, about the Manning, Arch Manning. Is he going to be like that? Like it was just sort of like, yeah, the name.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's and. a, you know, the bloodlines thing, this idea that like you can pass all this stuff genetically. And I think to an extent you can pass athleticism and that sort of stuff. But yeah. like, I don't know, not everything. Well, there's definitely been
2: cases where you're sort of like guys end up walking on and you're like why didn't you offer that? Like the clay Matthews one where he ends up being like a first round draft pick and he was a walk on at USC, his brother Casey and then you already see clay like crush it. His brother Casey, I think walked on at Oregon, wasn't getting offers. And you're like, at some point you're like, okay, we're probably going to recruit the kid. Like it's probably worth it, you know, but other times you don't do it just because of the name you want to see like production and everything. So, yep. Um, all right. So that's the kind of stuff there. We can do some questions. I think we had one. Do we have one email? yeah uh jay in new york i'm pretty embarrassed on the future of the conference giving the latest 50 million dollar scandal and the fact that they can't decide they can't get a media rights deal signed i don't know if they can't get one they're just working on it they're negotiating and all that uh where would the conference be today if you, ucla and usc hadn't been so bad for the last decade uh they'd be
0: intact i i think i think you're right i think yeah. if I mean, if USC if USC had real success over the last 10 years, they wouldn't have been looking to jump ship because their internal financial situation would be better than it was. Yeah. Uh, and same for UCLA. I mean, if UCLA hadn't had the doldrums uh, from the end of the Jim Moore era through the first, well, still, but let's say the first three and a half years of the Chip Kelly era, uh, their um, financial situation would have been the same. Obviously, COVID took a toll on every Pac-12 school, but yeah. – they would have been in a much better position um financially and so I think both schools uh to an extent I I don't think it was as desperate a situation for USC but the dollars and cents mattered here I mean attendance in the Coliseum Coliseum wasn't great either um so uh being able to do that kind of windfall I think is hugely important for the bottom line but success would have taken care of that for them specifically and then if it takes care of it for them specifically Uh, The rest of the Pac-12 would have stayed intact because they would have had no reason to leave.
2: Yeah, and I think USC kind of screwed itself a lot by with the sanctions and and just you know terrible hires at the athletic director and and so they kind of USC put themselves in a position to need the Pac-12's help and the Pac-12 was just as in you know dysfunctional as USC was. And at that point, you're like, okay, well, we're not getting help from the conference and they're looking someplace else. But if USC didn't need the help, which they normally, you know, they could just do stuff on their own. They were so incompetent that they needed conference help. The conference was incompetent. And then they're just like, oh, here's a competent conference. Let's go there and help
0: ourselves. And and the the other thing I'd say is it wasn't even necessarily. I mean, so we blame on this show. We blame USC and UCLA for a lot of it because the reality is that they are majority to blame. The league in general hit a downturn at a really critical bad point in time. Um, These things are cyclical. You have ups, you have downs, you have ups, you have downs. They hit one of the worst periods for the league in history, and they're already coming out of it. Next year is going to be one of the best years in recent memory, I think, for the Pac-12. But uh, 2017 to essentially last year, was a really really bad run for the league and it had it happened at the worst possible time where so many other leagues are consolidating where the money is getting insane and it made you know the two LA schools look around um and it just a a confluence of such bad circumstances um was basically the only thing I think that could have broken this thing up uh, because there was there there still is a lot of ideological alignment between these institutions, between the way they run their athletic departments, all this stuff, but the money is too insane right now. Yep.
2: And then number two, Jay said, uh, how did you guys both get into journalism as a career? Fell into it. Well, you were, you were like at the Daily Bruin and stuff, right? Yeah, like- but
0: I did, I mean, I was, so I did Daily Bruin in college, but that was basically just, you know, you pick a thing, you pick whatever your yeah. thing is in college. And that was my thing. Um, I didn't really have much interest in doing journalism. Um, I took the LSAT, uh, didn't decide to go to law school with that, instead just taught the test for a while. Uh, then I did some marketing junk, and then just kind of fell backwards into this. Um, it was something to do in my you know early mid-20s, and then just kept doing it. I've, I've just kept doing it since then, and I'm still mm. doing it. As you can tell, it's a passion project.
2: Yes, you d- definitely care. Um, my story is boring. Everyone's, you know, it's the same story. You know, most of any newspaper guy usually about the same thing they did. You know, they went and got a master's degree in electrical engineering and then started started a website as a And yet I'm the numbers guy. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. So never took a journalism class in my life. So if me, no, not no words. Good. That's why I was a math person. I was,
0: I've never taken a journalism class in my life either. Nice. I just, you know, but you worked Bruin for four years. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I
2: started uscfootball.com as a hobby, if that, just like, just for fun. And then it started to become popular. So I blame everyone else that didn't make popular websites because mine was good. And so, uh, I had to do it. I had to like, basically had to make a decision. Do I want to stop doing engineering? Which I worked for 11 years as an engineer. And uh, I mean, there's like satellites in space with like my computer chips on them, I think still. They might, I don't know, they might be gone by now, but- I hope uh, so. God yeah pretty good uh and here i am doing this now so talking with you in the in the this is what we do we this is what we do we we,
0: we, we talk about a dying conference <laughs> nice in a in a weirdly hot office
2: uh we got some is it hot like i turned no, the on cause it on because it's fine uh, eddie uh who would win? i think he means uh win
0: in an mma fight greg biggins or brandon huffman brandon so Biggins, he's he's so Biggins, he's a um he's a strong dude. He works out a lot. He, he's in shape. Um so Brandon has a size advantage. Let's just put all yeah. the cards on the table. Um I think Brandon has um more internal anger, and I think that's a huge factor in an MMA fight. I think Biggins is, you know, you see what you see is what you get. Uh, you know, he's a pretty, you know, easy going fella. Uh Brandon I think could could break a fool in half if he needed to. I've
2: I've tried with both those guys. Um, I think that I'm going to give the like because and Greg's you know an athlete. He'd play volleyball. He'd do stuff like that. But the, the you know there's like the survival skills like what you know you were going to take Kyle Whittingham, right because if you're like oh, I'm going to put you out naked in the in the field with a spoon and you right. have to kill that bear and then build a shelter like I think Kyle Whittingham could do that I think there's some aspects of that to Brandon like Brandon would be the tough guy that Gr-
0: Greg would ask a lot of questions he'd be a little <laughs> bit confused about it he'd be like wait what what am I doing <laughs> and Why? Brandon was like
2: how big is the spoon and he just like get the rock <laughs> right.
0: yeah so I like it uh, dog's
2: life in Portland. How has nil played into nli in the last week a lot i think so
0: yeah i mean it's the name of the game um as we've talked about on this show um nobody's gonna say outright oh yeah they paid me more money and that's why i went there but and i don't know it's not a hundred percent of the time i mean i think if the money's relatively even or you know within shouting yeah. distance of even i think they're making the cho- choices for the traditional reasons you know, what's a good fit for me? What's or if my you get paid the money like? you were supposed to get paid. Or if you get paid the money you were supposed to be paid. But <laughs> they're making decisions now, and I think the best way to think about it is, okay, they're young, so they do make stupid choices, more than, like, say, a 35-year-old. But think about yourself. If you were going for a new job, what would be your key factors yeah. for that new job? And if money isn't one of the first three, either you're extremely independently wealthy, and for that I congratulate you on your great blood, uh, or... Uh, uh, it's you're lying uh, because it's money. Um, and so I think for these kids, um, yes, some of them are stupid, and by stupid I mean they're young, and young people make irrational choices, and the irrational choice is doing something for something other than money. Uh, during this process, yeah. But the rational actors, of which most of them are, or at least they have people around them who are, uh, got to get the money right. Um, if there's money to be had, some of these guys there isn't money to be had, but. If there's money to be had, if you're like a high four star or a five star, you'd be stupid. It's it's football. It's not basketball. It's not baseball. It's not some sport where you you know have a long shelf life if you're that good. Right. It's a sport where your time in the pros, I think it averages out to like two years if you make it. Uh, get that money now. Yeah. And um, if you're getting offered, you know, seven hundred thousand over here and uh, fifty thousand in a Big Mac over here. You got to go for the other one. Um, yeah. So the kids are making choices that are rational and good, and yes, they do involve a lot of money. And sometimes you get that late flip, and you're wondering it's because you offered more money, <laughs> um, or sad. or the or they they had a deal where the money was supposed to come in at a certain point, and it never came in, and they got cold feet because the money didn't come in. Yeah, but they're There's making like... they're making now rational choices, and my hope is that someday very soon all of this becomes even more above board. Um, and it can be known that they signed them literally to a contract with money, a lot of money Um, or whatever, because that's what it is right now. That's what, and that's the beauty of NIL. Uh, there was a lot of like, uh, just real mewly mouth, like mealy mouth, uh, nonsense, uh, early on where this isn't what NIL was for. It was not for pay for play. Shut, shut up. This is great. It's great that they are able to get more money to the players because that's what is happening it's not now everyone can do what used to be cheating which is great because more guys are getting paid money There are more of them are getting what used to go into athletic department slush funds it's great uh now it needs to get a little bit more above board because too many of the bad deals are happening and it's a little bit you know when you have a purely free market with nobody like overseeing the whole thing at all, and it can all be kind of under the table, you end up with a lot of guys getting screwed. And yeah. with the age of the people involved, you really don't want to see that. Um, yeah. So a little bit more regulation, a little bit more um, above board to it. And I think it's going to be a a great and much, much, much more equitable system. And will make, if you ever felt icky, at any point in the last 10 years watching football, because of what you learned about concussions and what you learned about the toll on their bodies and how long they get medical insurance after the NFL or whatever it is, it's not everything, but it should make you feel a little bit better about the entire endeavor. Yeah.
2: Muley mouths. I like that. We gotta yeah. coin
0: that one. Yeah. Uh
2: one last one, and we'll let you guys go. Eddie, who will host the POC
0: next year? I mean, still us, unfortunately. We're hosting stuck the show. With us. You are uh, stuck with us. We uh we've got the brands. I mean, this this brand alone is worth what five tens. five maybe seven dollars <laughs> tens of dollars. Um, so I mean, somebody would have to make us a big offer to take this from us. What we need from you all is we are now at how many subscribers do we have? We're eight hundred one. We've lost so much steam because we were at seven ninety five last episode. We we need to get more. Yeah, subscribe to our damn show. You don't like it. Doesn't matter. You're not like going to get like. Frequent updates or whatever. Just right. hit the subscribe button. If we button. get to the thousand, yeah, then we can do ads. How often do you even go on your YouTube account? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Just hit the subscribe button.
2: Um, do it. Do it. And it's great. We did a live show like this. And we're going to do one again this evening. So with Gerard and Chris, they do like the USC like, recruiting one. And Insanity, We there it, it was a four-hour live show, live stream. So we're probably not going to do that. They got over $700 in donations. So if we get to the 1,000-point, the uh, 1,000-follower or whatever subscriber mark, you guys can actually send us donations through the chat. That's not an incentive for them. That is. (laughs) If you want us to stick around. (laughs) We know you don't have any good options when it comes to Pactful Podcast. Yeah.
0: No, we're counting on you misclicking a donation (laughs) button, okay? That's what we're counting on here. But first, you have to misclick the subscribe button, or better yet, intentionally click it. Can you do it? We love it um all right well i think that's gonna be
2: uh oh wait so someone's gonna give you like see yeah that's just the kind of stuff we're talking about alex i don't know that there's my little bit of a typo or something but you could make money offers in the chat for us to do something dumb like would you for a thousand
0: dollars would you shave your beard david i have no idea what's under here anymore (laughs) the last time i had a clean shaven face was 2011 holy cow yeah um at any point but that didn't answer the question. Would I do it for a thousand if someone subscribers?
2: Someone said a thousand No, a thousand. Oh,
0: I thought he was meant a thousand. Oh, for a thousand subscribers?
2: Oh no, he says a thousand I think a thousand subscribers he means yeah, you'll okay. shave your beard. But once we get there and someone said, Hey, I'm going to donate a thousand dollars to the show if you shave your beard, or you say I would do anything for money. But is a thousand dollars enough to shave your beard of
0: thirteen years? Yeah. Okay. It grows back. All right. I'm I'm really intrigued by what's under here. So, you would do it. It's probably ghostly pale. Okay. $100, you're going to shave your beard. 100 bucks? No. Okay. Because now we're talking about, like, am I getting paid for my work? Because it will be work to actually shave. Gotcha. And also, my skin is pretty sensitive. And so, if I do that, I'm causing actual damage to my face. Okay. Like, we're talking about a close shave, right? Like, I got to get out a razor and do the whole thing. Yeah. What yeah. would you
2: do? You'd have like a, a trimmer I would to trim it down and then give and it a little shave. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But $1,000, you would do it. A thousand, I'd do it. Yeah, all right. yeah. So we got to get to a thousand subscribers, so you guys can make some ridiculous offers to us to do things for money. Which I might
0: makes... shave it live on air for a certain amount of money. Would people be into that? Chris got a Chris got a tattoo live on our air. Yeah, I'd shave just to get ten thousand followers on yeah Twitter. I would I would make myself smooth. <laughs> 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 shave shave it all. Oh, that would take a lot for me to shave my head. I don't know. I, w- the eyebrows would be tough because I've heard that they may not they might not grow back if you do that. That would see. that would be bad. Yeah. I don't want that. No, I can't be that person without eyebrows. I'm in my 50s and like I have hair, like
2: I don't want to lose it and then like it just doesn't grow back. I just screwed myself for some likes on a YouTube show. Probably not, you know. Eh. Yeah.
0: Whatever. Do it all for the love of the game.
2: For the love of the game. All right. Well, let's uh let's I think we're going to You look
0: like you go- might have a pointy head. Do you have a pointy head? I don't think so. Does it a- I think it's kind of roundy okay i could try um
2: but i never did i
0: never had a bald head i
2: wonder if it would look it probably look
0: weird interesting is your head pointy or no no my head's perfectly smooth and round nice it's great i went with the full um uh down to the nub uh hair at one point you did yes and i had a big beard at the same time it was a very very it was a very hard look that's very impressive yeah nice very hard
2: Okay, well, let's wrap things up. Uh, For David Woods, I am Ryan Abraham. Really thank uh, Brandon Huffman for coming on the show, and thanks for everyone for jumping in. I think we almost had like 100 people or so watching it live. So thank you all for uh, doing that. We plan on keeping doing the show. We'll go through the offseason. We maybe get some updates pre-spring football um, with some of the different unique, uh, interesting programs. Certainly we want to talk to Adam Munster-Tiger about what's going on over... At Colorado, it would be great to hear from Chris Cartman and what the, the kind of impact Kenny Dillingham is having on, on that program over at ASU and all that kind of stuff. So we'll have a lot of fun. If you have questions, comments, concerns, you can still email us, pack 12 podcast at gmail.com, with any ideas you have for us doing the show. But we will continue to roll on uh, through the off season and uh, give you updates of everything that's going on. But for David Woods, he's right over there. This is Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time. Goodbye.
1: You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition.